0: It's good to see you today. We're going to be in, 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 in Acts chapter 8. You want to do Acts chapter 8 again? That'd be three weeks in a row. How about if we do Acts 6 through 8 again? That mistake two weeks ago, that was on me, man. But but you know what? Isn't it a good thing to be reminded? We need to hear. We need to hear about witnessing and being faithful to witness and just doing what God tells us to do. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. So go ahead and turn to Acts. We'll be looking at Acts 9, verses 1 through 31. And before we get to that, I would like to show you a couple of pictures here. We took a crew um, to uh, Belgium a few weeks ago, and this is some of them. Donna was usually on a keyboard. She's not in this particular picture. Jason Benson's not in this picture, and he proved at a worship conference it's able to worship in other ways, especially when you cannot sing. And um, (laughs) Jonathan, was that was his head sticking above the uh, sound booth in the back, Um, but all of these folks that went from here, show us that next picture. There were 40 students and 20 staff, and the dude all the way over on the right, the brother there with the white hair is uh, Jeff Slaughter. He came here a couple of years ago and shared with us what he's doing there, and we were able to put together a team of nine people to go help uh, teach at what he calls an immerse camp. Um, uh, It's difficult for Europeans to get off work, uh, except during their five weeks off in the summer when the whole town shuts down. And so he does this on a Friday, so they only have to take the one day off, and it starts Thursday afternoon, and then all day Friday and all day Saturday, and then um, he worked. It's an immersed camp, which means it starts at 8 in the morning and it goes till about nine, ten o'clock at night. But it was a good time to teach them theory, to teach them musical instruments and, and singing, and teach them most of all what the Bible has to say about worship. And he is teaching people from all over Europe the importance of leading by being a worshiper. So it was a really good time. We had a great time there and thankful for your help in getting people to to Belgium this year. Let's look in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, But Paul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This does not sound like it's starting out well, right? Breathing out threats and murder. The persecution that began in Acts chapter 1 continues not only with the passive I don't want to hire you but now with the active I'm going to go looking for you and finding out ways intentionally looking for ways to ruin your day okay I'm going to kill you if possible and the same Paul who had overseen Stephen's execution in Acts chapter 7 verse 58 now looks for governmentally approved sanctions to look for and destroy people who are in what's this movement that's called The Way. This is one of the early names for the church. It, we were not called Christians until over in Ch- Acts chapter 8, verse 26, at Antioch. It says that it was at Antioch that they were first called Christians or Christ followers or little Christs. And it was used as a pejorative. It was used as a, a derogatory term. And um, it wasn't for several, several years until the church looked at it and said, Christians, we're supposed to be Christians. Christ followers, little Christ, that, that's a pretty good term after all. And so the church adopted that term, that word, to describe ourselves. It's similar to wearing a cross. Many of you are wearing a cross today. You know, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a cool thing to wear. It would be kind of like wearing a, a, an electric chair around your neck. You, you're not going to go wear an electric chair around your neck, right? But it came to be worn as a representation of what it means and what was done on it rather than its original intended purpose. And while Christian was used as a pejorative early on, it became the term by which, yeah, we want to be known as that. We want to be known as Christ followers. But this guy Saul, man, he's, he's aggressive. He's out there, <clears throat> like I say, not only passively being difficult, but actively looking for ways to eradicate these people. Look there in verse 1, 1 and 2. He, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way men or women he might bring them bound to Jerusalem why in the world is he going to Damascus Damascus is 140 miles away from there that's a long ways when the airport hasn't been finished yet trains are down the boats don't go there 140 miles away why is he how angry is this guy and how did he get there you know if in acts chapter 9 verse 8 it says they led him by the hand if they were riding horses, they'd have thrown him up on a horse and led a horse. If they're if they're leading him by hand, did they walk all hundred and forty miles? And how many miles can you do it? You're only going as you're only going as fast as your as the slowest member of your entourage, right? How fast do you how many miles a day are you going? Ten? Takes two weeks to get there? And for 14 days, he's just ruminating about all these horrible things he's going to do to these rotten people. What kind of bitterness is this guy suffering from, you know? But for two weeks, he thinks about how he's going to get even with them. And on the way, he had a dramatic encounter with God. I think this is the most real estate in the entire New Testament dedicated to any one individual getting saved. I think we have... Most real estate dealing with Paul's salvation than anybody else. I'm not certain of that, but I believe that's a true statement. It seems it's kind of reasonable. If Acts, as we believe, was written by Luke, Paul's traveling companion, it seems reasonable. But this is a lot of real estate here. Look at what it says, verse 3. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Isn't it interesting how you just have to get some people's attention? My dad said, you know, to talk to a mule, you had to. Um, you had to use a two-by-four. You wipe them between the eyes, and you got to get their attention. And then you can start dealing with them. Well, that's, mm, that's kind of Saul. And he had a real impactful, emotional experience with God. He didn't seek it, but he sure had it. And friends, there's something about an experience with God's presence that is absolutely life-changing. Amen? Have you experienced God's presence? Think about the presence of God that makes the heavens shake the pillars of earth to quake it causes the created beings of eternity to cover their faces and their feet and to fly in completely they can't even look at him and it causes the people of God to fall on their faces in front of him just to be in his presence friends there's something about an experience with God that radically changes impacts who we It's not something to go seeking. We're not going to go seeking for a sign because Jesus said it's an evil and adulterous generation that seeks for a sign over in Matthew 16. We're not seeking for a sign. God, you have to prove this to me. One of my bosses when I was in college, (coughs) he said, there was a day he was driving the tractor on the farm we grew up on, and he said, God, if you're real, make a deer come out of the woods over in that corner over there. Looked at me and said, do you think a deer came out of the woods? Listen, Ephesians 3.17, I love this verse. He said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And when I found that verse, when God made that verse real to me, I, it, it just changed my thing about it because every, every interchange we have with God is done by faith. You read a book that we're told is inspired by faith. You pray to a God you cannot see by faith. You ask God to change your life, to bring you to life, to indwell you. And believe that he's done it by faith. You're water baptized by faith. You pray by faith. You teach by faith. Everything we do is by faith. And friends, when we get into his presence by faith, man, there's an experience that takes place. And look at what Paul said there in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Now, we we can read that, who are you, Lord? Or we can read that, who are you, Lord? Somebody put it that way. I think that's pretty good. And Paul's going, I work for the Lord. It can't be you. I work for the Lord. I know the Lord. And maybe he doesn't. Isn't that something? As it turned out, maybe he's not working for the Lord. Maybe he's actually working against him. Yikes. And he said, verse 5, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told, what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now look, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now one version has um, Acts twenty-two saying, They heard not the voice. Uh, the, the better translation is they did not understand. The Bible says here in verse 9 that they heard the voice in verse 22 it said in chapter 22 it says they did not understand how many of you know there's a difference between hearing and understanding how many of you have been married for more than a week and a half and know there's a difference between hearing and understanding right right and paul what paul heard changed his life and that other people did not understand it does not diminish the fact that it changed his life And, friends, just because it changes your life does not mean it's going to change everybody's life. Amen? But that it has changed your life and did not change someone else's does not diminish the impact and the reality that God's voice had in your life through that passage, through that story, through that book, whatever it is that God chose to speak to you through. And we have to be willing to hear God in the way he chooses to speak to us. But listen, it's always, what he says to you is always going to be grounded in his word, and it's always going to cause you to love Jesus more. And in verses 8 through 9, he's left blinded by his encounter. He's led by the hand that last half mile into Damascus. He's so messed up he doesn't eat, (laughs) eat for three days. And then not only does God speak directly to Saul, but he speaks directly to someone else about Saul. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, you know, the Lord told me you're a really terrible person? (laughs) Yeah, that's just typically not how God speaks to people. He spoke to Ananias about Saul, and he said good things to him. Look there in verse 10. There was a disciple named Ananias, The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. In a vision, a man named Ananias come in, lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. And you know what I like about it? Do you know what qualified Ananias for being the one to go pray for Saul? Willingness. When God said do it, he said, Okay. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that, and I'm aware of that. But but he wasn't the he wasn't the he wasn't the biggest preacher in town. He wasn't the scholar. He was he wasn't what everybody turns to. Now Acts twenty two says that he was a man who was righteous and respected. He was a devout man according to the law and well spoken of. But, friends, he was just a disciple. You know what qualified him to be used is the same thing that qualified you to be used if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. It's just a willingness to be used. And, friends, God's far more interested in your availability than he is in your ability. Now, listen, hone your abilities, perfect, work on your abilities, but at every degree, at every level of improvement, make them available. Right? Don't sit there and say, well, when I'm as good as so-and-so, then I'll stand up. and." No, man, just get in there. Get involved and submit what you have today. And Ananias, God came to him and said, here's what I want you to do. And his only qualifying mark is the same as Philip over in Acts chapter 8 when God said, I want you to go stand down there at the intersection of the I-15 and the Bangor and just wait. And what qualified Philip to change the world to change the church in the continent of Africa is that he said well, okay. Now look at what Ananias does. This is kind of funny. Ananias answered verse thirteen, Lord, I have heard many, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Don't you know how thankful God is for our input? <laughs> Trinity, I you know the Trinity sitting there and have Trinity looks at himself and says, "Did we get the right name?" What? What? We, Ananias says, "There's." A, would somebody get personnel on the phone? What? I think that's hysterical. And look, Ananias, he's not thinking about himself. Who's he thinking about? He's thinking about God. These are he's out for your saints. Do you know what he's done to you in Jerusalem? But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And all of us look at that and go, Oh, God, could we please be that one to carry the name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God, do we want a worldwide ministry. You want chapter 15? Chapter 15 is linked to chapter 16 to verse 15 and si- verse 16 i'm sorry verse 16 says for i will show him how much he must what suffer for the sake of the name well that takes all the fun out of it 15 sounds great i want 15 but friends it comes with 16 and i don't like that word suffer so here's what i did i looked in some other versions <laughs> you know if you look at enough versions maybe you can get another word you know bit more palatable but I looked in the amplified version that's the one for the hearing impaired Donnie uses it a lot <laughs> it makes it even worse it says must endure and suffer well that stinks easy to read version uses the word suffer that doesn't sound easy to read to me I did something this past week I don't think I've ever done in all the years I've been praying I looked in 45 versions okay 45 versions looking for any version that I could use this morning that would get rid of that word suffer. 45 versions and every one of them used the word suffer except for two and they used the word endure. Well, I don't like that. So here's what I did. I went and looked up the definition. Surely that will make it better. (coughs) It didn't. It means to experience a sensation or impression, usually painful, to feel, passion, suffer, and vex. I don't like vex. Another lexicon said, in a bad sense of misfortunes, to suffer, to undergo evils, to be afflicted. This isn't going well. So here's what it is. I look where else, it, other places it's used in the Bible. Maybe this will help. Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer. Luke 17, but first he must suffer many things. Luke 22, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke 24, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer? Luke 24 again, thus it is written that Christ should suffer. And then I went, it got way personal over in Philippians one twenty nine. It has been granted to you not only the privilege of being called by his name, but also to suffer for his name's sake. I don't like that. And then I looked at the book that uses that word suffer more than any other book in the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called. Oh, here's what I've been called to. Here's what I've been called to. This is going to be good. Because Christ has suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you can follow in His steps. That just, that's no fun. I don't like that. And look. Either Paul had a really twisted sense of encouragement or he had a perspective on the reality of the Christian life that we need to be aware of over in Acts chapter 14. Because in Acts 14, he's going from church to church. He's going from town to town, encouraging them as he's heading back down to Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. And it says in Acts 14, 22, he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith And he's saying, now listen, if we can just get what Paul's saying. What is he saying that is an encouragement, that's designed to be an encouragement for these churches? If we can just find out what he's saying, then if we repeat it, maybe we can be an encouragement to others. Right? Here's what he says. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I don't like that. And yet John W. Peterson song, It's Not an Easy Road. We're traveling to heaven. For many are the thorns on the way. It's not an easy road, but the Savior is with us. His presence gives us comfort every day. And friends, there are many aspects of our walk with God that are just simply difficult and painful. He never promised a ease. rejection, and he promised us peace. Peace is your bequeathal from Jesus. Peace is the gift that Jesus gives you. He said, the peace that I have, that's the peace that I'm giving to you. That's what he promised. And you cannot have peace except in the middle of conflict. (coughs) We feel a strange twinge of guilt thinking about how jesus suffered for us but boy you let somebody mention suffering to us and we're out of here we're americans we don't have to suffer we talk about it i thought jesus was going to fix all my problems and all it did was get worse (laughs) look on the dark side (laughs) i thought everything was going to get better but friends the old hymns have it right must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. And friends, when, Je- when when Jesus sent Ananias to Paul to talk to him, he said, he, this guy has to know he's, he's going to suffer something. He's going to speak in front of Gentiles, kings, and uh, the Jewish leaders. But he's going to suffer some things. So, verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Now that's interesting. I call him brother. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you might re- may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You know, how cool is that? That Saul, if he walked, he walked for upwards of two weeks. He walked for upwards of two weeks just so he could meet this guy, Ananias, whose prayer was going to absolutely change his life and who he possibly never saw again. I just love how God arranges these meetings. In 1984, we met some people named The Bosses. It would be an interesting name if you owned the company, but I don't know if you did or not. We were camping in um, Yosemite, and they were in the slot next to us, and we just struck up a conversation with them. And they were Mennonites who loved God. We had questions. They were willing to talk with us and prayed with us. And the next morning, we got in our car and drove hundreds of miles home, and they got in their car, and we presume drove hundreds of miles to their home. We never saw them or heard from them again. But here 35 years later, when I mentioned it to Donna the other day, we both had a moment of silence because of how impactful that meeting was. Those people who just cared for us, who just prayed for us, that, that we drove all that way and God had arranged for us to meet with the bosses and just be encouraged as a result. I have just always thought that was interesting. We lived in we lived in um, when we lived in Mississippi one of my buddies Larry Bentley, one of the br- most brilliant guys I've ever known, came up to me and said, "You hear about the woman in New Orleans? We lived in New Orleans he knew it. And he said, "You hear about the woman in New Orleans and Mardi Gras who dropped dead? Well, <laughs> no, but this sounds interesting." That's the way to start a story there, Larry. Yeah, she's standing in Jack." filled with people. Everything's going wild, blowing <laughs> all the noise, and she just drops. She drops dead. Well, somebody, however far away, had shot a 22 bullet pistol into the air, and that thing came down and conked her right in the top of the head and killed her dead. And then he said, she was from Boston. Isn't that amazing that she drove all the way from Boston to New Orleans to die? You're a weird guy, man. all the way from Jerusalem 140 miles on foot just to get saved I like how God works and he called him brother I wonder if he was already a Christian when when would he become a Christian maybe was it when he confessed that whoever he's talking to is Lord because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead you will be saved but Ananias prayed for him and be healed and to be filled with the spirit and there's that term filled with the spirit let's do a quick study in acts on times when it says the holy spirit came on or filled a person let me give you some verses they're going to be up there so you can write these down as they come check me out later acts 2 4 they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance acts 4 1 then peter filled with the spirit said to them Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 8.17, They laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. We have our passage here in 9.17, which results in 9.20, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Acts 10.44, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on them who heard the Word. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing... Them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Acts 13. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently on him and said, Acts 19. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, those are the eight times in the book of Acts where it says that the Holy Spirit came on or filled someone. And there are some things that we get as commonalities through these things. Okay? There are two commonalities, two lessons that I draw from my personal life out of these events. First one is that the filling of the Spirit is a second experience and a repeated experience. Not only is it a second experience, it is a repeated experience or event. Listen, Peter was filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2.4, in Acts 4.1, and in Acts 4.31. Paul was filled with the Spirit in 9.17 and again in 13.9. Why did they have to be refilled? The same reason you have to be refilled, and that is we leak. Life takes it out of us. How many of us, when you leave here, you just love Jesus so much, and you'll never not serve God again. And then that guy pulls in front of you on the way home, and here we go. (laughs) Right? Life takes it out of you. Ministry takes it out of you. This This has been a long week. It's been a hard month these past seven days. (laughs) <laughs> We've had some difficulties here. Ministry takes it out of you. It doesn't mean that you you lose your salvation by any means. But what it does mean is we have to have a constant a reminder of a constant walking with him, a constant depending on him. The filling of the Spirit is a secondary and repeated experience because... As we are commanded in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Now, what is he saying there? That word has three uh, endings on it. First one is, it's imperative. You must be filled. It is an absolute necessity that you be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, it's passive. It means this is done to you. We just rest in it. God, I'm willing for you to use me any way that you want. But thirdly, it's present tense, which means I need it now. And tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to need it now. And the next morning when I wake up, I'm going to need it now. And every time I'm involved in it, find myself in an experience where I need more of God, I need more of God. It is a present tense experience. It's not a once and for all. It's a repeated, constant, ongoing experience. Because yesterday's manna is never good enough for today. And His mercies that are new every morning are very similar to that fresh oil that David talks about in Psalm 92.10, anoint me with fresh oil today. I need fresh today. So first off, the filling of the Spirit is a secondary and a repeated experience. But here's the second thing that we see in all of these situations. The The filling of the Spirit equips us to say something. Now, look, in chapter 8, we have a weird experience because Simon the magician jumps in. We do not know what happened in chapter 8. We can say, oh, well, we think we were speaking in tongues. It doesn't matter what you think. We don't know. And there have been so many weird and odd doctrines and teachings that have come out of this argument of silence that I think wisdom would say, let's just leave it silent. We don't know what happened there, and we can be okay with that. But if you take the other seven circumstances, look at what happens. Within three verses of every one of them, somebody is saying something. Now look, Acts 2, 4, they're speaking in tongues. Acts 10, Acts 19, they're speaking in tongues. Acts 2, 4, and verses following that, and then in 4, 4.31, and chapter 9, and chapter 13, they're either witnessing or preaching. Then three of those situations, they're speaking in tongues. In four and a half of them, because chapter 2 covers both of them, in four and a half of them, they're witnessing or they're preaching. In every one of them, within three verses, they're saying something. Listen, if we're going to argue that any external manifestation is required to prove that you have the filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid that the weight of evidence is that proof of the filling of the Spirit is that we become witnesses. There are more times where they're preaching and witnessing than there are where they're speaking in tongues. I'm down with speaking in tongues. I get it. I'm in favor. Let's go, go, you know. But let's keep things in their proper order. Let's keep things for their purpose. And if we're going to argue, what's the proof? The Holy Spirit has shown up five times. In five times, they are witnessing or preaching within three verses. Friends, if we want to prove how spiritual we are, we need to get out there and preach and witness with boldness and the feeling of the Spirit, wow, what might happen to our community. And if you go backwards, look, look at the, look, go backwards. When was the last time you witnessed you, that you shared something in boldness that you just go, that wasn't really me, that wasn't really normal for me? Think about that time. What was happening? It was the Holy Spirit who was doing that through you. You were the glove. I love this analogy. Major Ian Thomas in his book, The Saving Life of Christ. Love this analogy. You were the glove. Put a glove on it put a glove on a table and tell the glove to pick up a book. How much strength does that glove have? How much strength does the glove have? How many books can the glove pick up? Can't pick up any. Now what do we do? Put a hand in that glove. Now how much can the glove pick up? As much as the hand inside of it. Spirit, you are capable of doing everything He has called you to do, because He is the one doing it, and we are the glove. And if we if we would just demystify this issue of the filling of Spirit and make it less a point of division and argument, and more of an encouragement, a rallying cry for evangelism and witness, what might happen in our communities? Holy Rollers came to town one time in Luxor, Arkansas, and they set up the tent, you know, and all that jazz. And my grandpa Hill, my mother's dad, was pastor of the First Baptist Church, and <laughs> Grandma was there, of course. And Somebody came to Grandma and said, what do you think about those holy rollers down there? You know. In the second service, I have to tell them what that is. What do you think about those crazy people, those holy rulers down here? You know what my grandmother said? She said, I have learned not to speak ill of things I do not understand. Wow. Wow. And friends, whether you understand it or not, we need to be careful not to ascribe to the devil simply because we do not understand or even If it's from God, it's good. Because James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. If it comes from Him, it's a good and perfect gift somehow. One definition of the word filled is to diffuse throughout one's soul. To invade, to take possession of that part of us where our mind is so that we think God's thought. Where our will is so we desire His desires. Where our emotions are so we feel what He feels. do it through which he ministers to the needs of people around us. And just like the pipe through which the water flows gets wet, those through whom the Spirit moves are blessed. Well, look there in verse 23. Not Apparently apparently, not everybody was happy with Saul's newfound sobriety. Look in verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. These are the same guys he was working for just a few verses before. What is these people's problem? Now they're trying to kill him, and friends. Sadly, your biggest critics and your fiercest opponents will oftentimes be the very ones who have been with you all along. You know the biggest opponents. To you, you know the biggest opponents to you getting out of the ditch. The ones in the ditch next to you. Because if you get out of the ditch and they don't, it lets them know it's because they won't. But the ones who are outside of the ditch, they know what it's like to live outside the ditch, right? And they're going to be the ones sticking a hand out there saying, come on, let's get out of this thing. But it's those in the ditch next to you. They're the ones, oh, don't go anywhere. you got to be here with us. Oh, are you going to hobble around on that Jesus crutch now? Yeah. It's the old crowd. It's the old associates. They're the ones that are going to give you a hard time getting all spiritual on us. But you know what he said Psalm 68? He said he sets the lonely in families. And friends, any loss that I have had as a result of following Jesus has been so much more compensated for by the by the church, by the family of the church, friends inside the kingdom than those that I've lost outside. It hurts. There's no doubt it hurts. But here's the promise of Jesus in Mark chapter ten. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life and here's what the jews did they plotted to kill him when in doubt kill him when you don't agree with them destroy their character When they say something you don't agree with, find every way to just kill them. That's our modern culture, too. Look in verse 24. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. You know what? I like to wonder about the other guys, okay, the other guys in the Bible. Like those dudes that were going up there to Damascus with Saul, what happened to them? I wonder what happened. How about the kid who took the five loaves and two fishes and came home with baskets full of leftovers, and his mom goes, where, wh- where have you been? What have you done? What's he, What happened in that situation? I, I, the nine lepers who went home cleansed, did they just live the le- rest of their lives and in healed in gratitude? I just wonder about those guys. And how about these people who determined to kill Saul? They were waiting for him, and he never showed up. How disappointing would that be? They're not the last... Over in Acts chapter 23, there are 40-plus who determine we have bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food until we have killed Paul. They didn't kill him. What happened? Did they just sneak off individually to McDonald's and kill themselves slowly another way? What, What did they do? Paul slipped away unharmed. Verse 26. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And Saul finds himself in a a no-man's land Mm. of rejection. He's hated and plotted against by the ones who he used to work with. He's not trusted and sent away by the ones he now wants to work with. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, the very embodiment of encouragement, comes to the church and says, no, this dude's man, he's real. He's the real deal. He got saved. But even they, they buy him a ticket to Texas, I mean Tarsus, and (laughs) get him out of here. Let him relax for a while. Because, friends, here's your reality. There has been such a major change in Saul's life, a major rethinking. This doesn't take place overnight. And here's one of the tragedies that we see with celebrities who get saved, and we throw them up on a stage and say, tell us all about Jesus. Too soon, they hadn't had time for that to marinate. They hadn't had time for that water to soak down into their 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 ground, their topsoil, bring change to their lives. And so they sent Saul off to Tarsus so that this thing can seep in and marinate in him for a while. And here's the result of it. Chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How would that make you feel? As soon as you leave town, all the bad stuff stops. As soon as you leave town, there there's peace and they get built up. How would that make you feel? Let's get Saul out of here so we can have some peace and building up for a while. I wonder if that left kind of a weird taste in his mouth. But listen, here's an analogy. I've used this for years. I heard it before Al Gore, I mean before the Internet. And I not, Look, if you know that this isn't true, please wait until after second service to tell me, because this is a great analogy, okay, because I'm going to use it in the second service. You can tell me afterwards, but the analogy is this. I have been told, this was years ago, <clears throat> that there are some trees, there are certain kinds of trees that do all of their growing for the entire year in six weeks. And then spend the rest of the year growing into their growth. I like that. Well, that's what God does with us. There's a burst. There's this this infusion of growth. There's this infusion of experiencing God and and learning all these things. But it takes time to walk those things out, doesn't it? To grow into our growth. And he tells us in John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. Now, that's the word didosco. We get the didactic, I mean, didactic teaching. That's the teaching where you're sitting next to someone on a sofa, you have the book open in your laps, and you're reading it back and forth. Now, you see what that says? That's what that means. You get that? That's what that says. That's didactic teaching. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. He's going to teach you all things. But then it says over in John chapter 16 that there's a time coming when he's going to guide you into all truth there's a time, there's a a span of time between teaching you all things and guiding you all to all truth. And when he guides us into all truth, that's when he says, okay, you got it? Good. Now we're going to close the book and I'm going to grab you by the hand and we're going for a walk. How many of you learned something about forgiveness and then that person showed up? Why? Because God said, listen, it's not enough for you to know the facts. Now we've got to walk this time between the hearing and the seeing it lived out. And it's okay. That's okay. We're in a process. Here. It is a process of real life transformation. A change of who we Time to make a man of God, and Paul said at the end, "I still strive. I'm still striving to be made into the image of Christ. I'm working hard to relax into His image." Friends, if you're not where you want to be yet, my encouragement to you is: don't worry about it. you. Won't Go into woodcrafters and there's my buddy and he just needs to hear about jesus god fill me right now give me the words i need to say when you're in that argument with that spouse that kid that boss that neighbor that whoever it is god i need to say the right thing would you please fill me with your spirit right now it's not it's not about being weird on late night tv it's about let's let's have. A to all truth let's pray father thank you so much that you having begun this discussion will continue it all the day all the way to the day of the lord jesus that you have more invested in us than we do that you have more at stake in us than we do that you are more interested in your image being produced in us than we are so father help us to just be thankful for that God, will be the glove. If, dear Father, please, you'll fill us with your spirit. Use us. Help us not to be afraid of going to the souls of this life and just laying hands on them. Help us not to be afraid to go stand at the junction of the I-15 and the Bangator and just hitchhiking for a bit. And see who shows up. God, help us to not be afraid to just obey. To do what you've told us to do. And trust, dear God, the results. Cause Jesus blinded all my darkness and sparked my heart with